as we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right after the book of Proverbs in the middle of your Bible. We've been going through Ecclesiastes on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. It's been, it's been wonderful. It's a great book, and Pastor John's doing a wonderful job. If you have not been able to attend, please catch up online. It's a, we get a chance to, to go through chapter 3 this morning together. Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Time. Uh, We live in a time surrounded by unparalleled change, to say the least. This day in which we live, unparalleled change all around us. And in addition to change, there are things, there are occurrences, events that take place that are absolutely outside of our control. You have no power over certain things that land in your life. We're constantly aware of change. We're constantly aware of transition. As events happen, as things materialize, big things, little things, big ways, small ways, happy ways, and sometimes disastrous ways, horrifying ways, reminding us, these things should remind believers that any view of life in this present age in which we live and its happenings, any of them that are divorced from our union with Jesus Christ, the one who rules and reigns now and forevermore, any, any, anything divorced from that fact will result in bitter frustration. Life its events, and their timing and purposes unknown to us outside of keeping the Lord of the universe in mind and our union with him will result in despair. It will yield nothing but despair and the result of frustration. So my question to you this morning um, as we begin is how do you see life? How do you see events in time on this earth? And and how do you gauge the purposes of those events, be they, at least in your mind, good, bad, or indifferent? As you dwell on this earth amidst change, challenges, right? You live with challenges, 
and, and uncertainty, uncertainties of life, do you see God as superintending every one of those things, events, happenings, that he's in absolute sovereign control over them? Or do you see Satan sneaking in occasionally to whirl something about when bad things happen? And he does so as though God is unaware. Boy, Satan slipped that one in. Is that how you see life? Remember, we opened the service with Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. It's all his. The next portion of service was Acts 17. Look at it. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, having determined allotted times, allotted periods, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You know, even the most mundane things in life do not happen apart from the will of the Lord. See, do you believe that this morning? You know what Jesus said about the most insignificant bird there is? A sparrow? This is what he said. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, Okay? Fear not, therefore, that, that God knows not only the drop falling of every sparrow, but every hair on your head. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, this is the God who loves us. This is the God who bends his power to our good. Question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that in the midst of uncertainties? When circumstances make no sense at all, the question is, do you believe that? Now, because of life's uncertainties and man's ignorance in certain seasons of life, some pastors and, and some theologians, what they do is they attempt to portray God, especially in times of tragedy, as more compassionate than he appears to be. And again, that he appears to be. In scripture. So that when you face heartbreak, they'll say things like, um, God is weeping and wondering with you. And he was caught as much by surprise at this point in time and this event in your life as you were. And what they do is they try to make him less than an absolute sovereign Lord, an absolute sovereign shoulder to cry on. We can weep before God, amen? We can rush into the presence of God because of Christ, and we ought to. And we can, we can cry out to him with our uncertainties. We can cry out to him in our frustrations. But make sure that you understand he's in absolute control of every situation. He doesn't, nothing slips by him, beloved. Okay? Nothing slips by sovereign God. The devil doesn't get one in here and there. 
That's heresy. What we see in Ecclesiastes is that every season of time is fixed according to God's sovereign design. Now, a little background before we get moving here. The quest of Ecclesiastes is the pursuit of satisfaction in a world of unknown frustrations in time. A little background with the writer. The writer, uh, we believe to be Solomon, and he refers to himself, chapter 1, verse 1, as, notice, the words of the preacher. The son of David, king of Jerusalem. So the Hebrew title for preacher is koaleth, which means gatherer, which means assembler. And again, we believe this to be Solomon. Koaleth is the one who speaks in the ecclesia, in the gathering of the people, the assembly, the congregation, thus the title Ecclesiastes. He calls himself a king, the son of David in verse 2. So he's the preacher king. Koaleth, that's the Hebrew title. And Koaleth goes on a quest in search of satisfaction in midst of this very fleeting, that is, temporal life on earth. And much of the search that's being related to us here is from a particular perspective. And that is from the perspective of this phrase we see throughout, Life under the sun. Life under the sun. And life under the sun, for the most part, when it's used, means life without reference to God. Life without reference to God's purposes. Without, uh, life without reference to God's truth and his ways. Now, Koalath tries everything under the sun to find satisfaction. Pleasure, materialism philosophy, uh, a form of hedonism, which is not seeking pleasure at every cost. There's Epicurean hedonism, which, was, which, 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 which had some restraint in it. As compared to Serenian hedonism, that means to seek and find pleasure, whatever the cost. I mean, he even tried a form of Epicurean hedonism, seeking pleasure to find fulfillment in this life under the sun. Under the sun is life limited to man's existence. Living life under the sun is living life from an anthropocentric, that is man-centered, versus a theocentric, God-centered view of life on this earth as we know it. And it only leads to one dead end after another. And at every dead end is the sign that reads... Another phrase that comes up throughout, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That is, all of life is like grasping for vapor. It's described as meaningless. Life is described as pointless. It's a mere cloud of steam that can never be captured. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity as regards life under the sun. So looking at life from an under-the-sun, that is a man-centered perspective, a horizontal view, that is the natural, temporal worldview of of most men in this life. Um, You become very cynical, very hard-bitten, very angry. 
or at the least, if, if, if one is not angry and bitter, uh, they will be that try-to-be-happy person. Just pull up your bootstraps, whatever the cost, try to be happy, but deep down, you're hopeless. You can be happy and hopeless because happy has to do with happenstance, whatever's going on. Now, in contrast to vanity of life under the sun, that, that worldview, and a worldview is basically, you know, where did we come from? Why are we here? What happens when we die? In contrast to under the sun, he turns. Solomon pivots and recognizes God has a place and God has a role in it all. Who is the answer to all the questions and uncertainties of life? So his sight, the writer's sight, Koleth, his sight is raised now above the sun. Verse 1, notice, he uses the phrase, under heaven. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter, under heaven. Now, the pivot begins back in verse 24, chapter 2. Notice, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, that is, in his work, in life on this earth. That's toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Okay, so that's where he begins. Now, he's bringing us into the very presence of God, who's the source of all things. Right? He's pulling us in. He's reining us in. And the first thing that he shows us is that your life has meaning as, your life has meaning as you respond to a rhythm that God himself has created. We live that rhythm out by faith, expecting that God is doing something according to his holy, perfect will. That is, God is doing something in time. That's the rhythm we're talking about. The rhythm is time as we know it. Things that are beyond our seeing, things that are far beyond our understanding, as life is lived out in the brevity, that is, the briefness of time, under heaven, this sovereign Lord who dwells above the sun. Are you with me this morning? Now, the phrase under heaven, uh, it's mentioned elsewhere in Ecclesiastes. It's not the most common expression that's used. Under the sun is, and vanity of vanities is. Now, some believe that the phrase under heaven is, is meant to mean the exact same thing is under the sun, just a synonymous term. And it's used occasionally, they say, so as to avoid being too repetitious. Very unlikely. It, just, it makes no sense as you read through the book and you read the context. It's more likely, under, the hev- under heaven that is, an expression placed in deliberate contrast to the phrase under the sun, so as to elicit God's presence in and over all things under heaven, highlighting for us the futility of human existence when it's lived in the denial of or disregard for God, under the sun, that is. So we have a contrast. Heaven is God's acknowledged domain. He rules and reigns, we sung it this morning, from his throne in heaven. So that makes a radical contrast not some synonymous parallel. I think that's ridiculous thinking. So he's giving an answer here to the pessimism and despair of living life under the sun. With all these 
troubles unbeknownst to us, all these happenings in time. We're ignorant. As we'll see, we know not the secret things of the Lord. Now, this section of Ecclesiastes 3 is probably the most frequently preached by preachers. Now, Ecclesiastes is a very neglected book, unfortunately. And people who've been going through it with us here on Sunday mornings and Sunday school will tell you how beneficial it's been for them. But this is probably the most known, chapter 3, even among those who who don't even read the Bible, uh, because of a song that that became a hit 50 years ago. It was a song written uh, by Pete Seeger originally in the, ni- ni- in the 1950s, and then it was made a, a world hit in 1965 by the birds. To everything turn, 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 there is a season, right? It comes from this. So the lyrics, except for the title, Turn, 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 which is repeated throughout the song, and the, la- the final verse are adapted from chapter 3, of Ecclesiastes. Now, the hook in the song, turn, 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 that's the hook, uh, that suggests a, a cyclical view of a meaningless repetition of time, which is not the case of Ecclesiastes 3. Life from under heaven, life lived from a God ordained perspective, there is a timeliness and a purpose for everything. Are you still with me? He's writing from a perspective of the sovereignty of Almighty God, the God who is sovereign over time and over eternity. Nothing slips past him, beloved. Okay? If you're into this word of faith movement, just positive confession, it will not rain today, like I said this morning, it will not rain, it will not rain. Don't be a fool. It rained. (laughs) God's purposes in life include both positive and negative experiences, and time, beloved, rules over you. Okay? Time rules over us. So what we don't want to miss here as we get into this is the fact that time rules over us and God rules over time. God rules over time. That's the point. So from out of this beautifully balanced poem, and this is poetry, we're reminded that the Christian worldview begins with the sovereignty of God in and over all things. Now is where this book is going, at the end, it says this, now is the time to fear the Lord. Now is the time to fear God. And fearing God simply means to have faith in God, the one true God. That's what it is to fear the Lord, because he is the sovereign, providential timekeeper. Now, this should lift us up, because what we do when we fall prey to doubts in this life, we forget this reality. We forget this. Verse 1, we see the God-ordained rhythm of life under heaven who rules from above the sun. And in verse 1, he gives the general proposition, right? the statement of fact, for everything. What does that mean, beloved? Everything. That's very easy. It's everything. For everything, there is a season. That is, everything there is, and everything that happens, there is a season. Season means a period or space of time. 
a period or space of time. Seasons are characterized by things that happen. Okay? Points of time have to do with every purpose. Things happen in a point of time during a season of time. So that fixed point of time is within a particular season of time as things occur. There's a season for everything. There's a time for every purpose. That's Hebrew poetry, parallelism of thought, emphasizing the fact of the matter by stating it twice in slightly different terms. Look at it. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. From the throne of the king. Now, following that statement are seven seven contrasting couplets that define for us the whole sweep of human existence. And they're arranged in opposite form, which signifies, signifies wholeness, a group of opposites. The fact that God governs not only birthing and dying, the beginning of life and the end of life, he also governs everything in between those two extremes. In between life and death, he governs it all. And we, you see, live in response to the patterns he's put in place. We live in response to the patterns he has foreordained. For instance, we don't dance at funerals. Amen? You don't dance at a funeral. You don't mourn at a birthday party. Maybe you do. (laughs) Our grandson was born in Los Angeles, California, our second grandson. We did not mourn on Tuesday. We rejoiced. That's a season for rejoicing, not for mourning. So living life under heaven is a life that we must live by what? Faith in the God who rules from heaven over time. He rules over time, and he rules, overrules everything that happens in time. For everything, there is a season and a time. That is an appointed time and appointed purpose for every matter under heaven. So the question is, what purpose is he speaking about? What purpose? Because purpose, here in this passage, means a plan carried into action. It is a plan brought to fruition. So whose plan is it? Is it yours? Is it mine? No. It's his. It's his. Quite simply, the purpose being spoken about is almighty God's. Almighty God's purpose. There's a purpose. We don't always understand the purpose. There's so many things I don't understand. I don't know about you. I don't understand the purpose of many things that have occurred in my life. But, but he does, because they're his. It's his purpose. This, beloved, is about his sovereign will and providential purpose. And how do we know that? Verse 11. Notice this comprehensive statement that serves as the interpretation for this passage. And we'll get to those verses, believe it or not but we won't get there for a bit. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its what? In its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, he brings about his purpose in his time. His time. Not my time, necessarily. 
and perhaps not your time, but we're talking about the work of God. Something that he does from the beginning to the end. It's God's work that's being spoken about. That's clear, not what men determine to do. He is the sovereign. He really is on the throne. So what do we do with that promise? Okay, this is a promise. It's, it's right here. What do we do, beloved? We wait and we watch. We wait and we watch for God to keep that promise. That is everything beautiful in its time that will come to pass. So our task is to learn to wait well. Is that easy? Is it easy for anybody but me? (laughs) No, it's not easy. We wait in faith by believing God's word. We wait in faith by believing God's word. God sets the times, God sets the seasons, and he is forever faithful. He keeps his promise. It's his time. He's sovereign. God controls all events. Verse 11, or verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. That is, God determines what will happen, when it will happen, and why it will happen. That's what that means. So the what consists of the particulars. The when is the time that the particulars take place. And the why tells us here that there's a purpose for it. We just don't always know what it is. But there's a purpose for everything. So when we speak of these things in theological terms, we're referring to the decrees of God. Is there anything he hasn't decreed? No. No. That is, before creation, God formed a plan. That is, he ordained a plan. He predetermined all things. That is, all events that shall take place throughout history, events in time cannot be separated. He ordained these things. Listen to Ephesians 1, verse 11. He, God, I think we have it on the screen. He works what things together? All things according to what? The counsel of his will. His sovereign will. He works all, that is the what, when, where, and why, according to the counsel of his will. That's what he does. He predetermined his plan. And he brings it to pass by way of his work in time. Okay? What's the first thing God did? He spoke, and the universe came into existence. Right? He he created the universe. He planned it, and he spoke it into existence. That's the first thing he did. And then secondly, after the work of creation, we see the work of his providence. He speaks it into existence, and then by the work of his providence, that is the preservation and and governing of all that he created throughout time. Providence. He brings it to pass in time, that which he has ordained, in eternity past before time, and then he providentially cares for it in time, as he predetermined. It comes to pass. Which means, beloved... There are no random chance happenings without meaning under the providential rule of God. 
So if every event is ordained by God, it must have meaning. This is where we get all messed up. We don't understand the meaning of a lot of things. Meaning, according to the meaning and mind of God, not according to the meaning and mind that we give to it. Okay? The meaning and mind of God, not ours. We're not capable, beloved, of assigning meaning and significance to things, anything, independent of the mind of God. For those of you who are sitting out there thinking about, what about evil? What about the evil acts of man? James 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. I don't have this up there. Just write it down. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one with evil. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So, the source of evil is never God. The source of evil is always man and within man. And if God preordains not to restrain particular evils in man, they will be what? Carried out for a purpose that is in the mind of God that is far beyond our understanding. Okay, are you with me? Deuteronomy 29, 29, mark it down. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do the words of his law. He creates them, beloved, not you and not me, the secret things. These are his. The things that are revealed to us belong to us, and then we're responsible to walk by faith according to what? The word of God. So what's revealed to us here is that certain things God has a purpose for in which we do not understand the purpose. So what is revealed to us is is not the secret purpose, but how to respond in the midst of the mysteries of life here and now. Okay? And no, we're not puppets. Well, I guess we're just puppets then. No, we're not. We're not called to disengage. We're called to engage as God has predetermined everything and he works everything out in time for which we are subjects at this very moment, subjects of time. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is the, the, the lesson of the rhythm of life that we live in time. It's the rhythm of life set forth by God. And the circumstances within time are what shape us. Have you not been shaped by difficulties in your life? Has God not sanctified you by way of trouble? by way of pain, by way of discomfort. Amen? So the emphasis here is on the fact that our lives are shaped by time and the seasons we go through in time. And particular things happen during points of time within seasons of time. And again, this points out to the fact that times, the times, seasons, or particular points in time are not in our hands, but are in God's hand. You know, history is the record of the activities of God 
He's personal. He's not impersonal. He's not an impersonal force. He's a very personal, almighty creator who's personally involved with his creatures, most specifically with those he's called to himself in a redeeming fashion. Children of the Most High. So you're included within this plan, you see. Whatever the purposes are, you may not know now, but he does. So let me tell you this, beloved. How you view the cause of events in your life, how you view those things will have a significant impact on how you live your life. And trust me, there's all kinds of false doctrine out there that, that, that declares it's some kind of shortcut for you. Don't dabble in that nonsense. Like the word of faith movement nonsense. I'm just determined this isn't going to happen, so I'm going to speak it into existence. That's lunacy. We trust in the God of the word. We trust in the word of God. Now, there are those who fight to, to deny such truths. They refuse to accept the sovereign rule and reign of God, and they embrace the doctrine known as fatalism. Right? You know people who adhere to fatalism. Fatalism teaches to, 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 to resign yourself to the belief that some impersonal force causes or controls things from which we have no control. Fate. And not the God of Scripture. Some impersonal force. You'll hear of good luck, bad luck. Form of fatalism. Well, I guess good luck was on my side today. Oh, bad luck was on my side today. We hear about fortune, fortune tellers, horoscope readings, aligning of the stars. If you're a Christian, you dabble in that nonsense, you're dabbling with a form of witchcraft. Don't go there. You believe in this sovereign God? Or are you going to go to some tent with some fortune teller who's going to read your poems? Huh? Don't go there. There's a Christian form of fatalism, and it's this. Satan won that battle. You know, Keith Green was a famous uh, Christian uh, musician in the 70s, 80s, Mark. I still listen to the brother. 70s. And he died in a plane crash, and there was some preacher in L.A. said, this is the work of the devil. No, come on, guys. It is appointed unto man, what? Once to die. You will die on time, we will see. You were born on time, and you will die on time. So the preacher here is not teaching fatalism, but he's teaching providentialism, if that's even a word. I used it the first time I taught it, so I'll use it again. Providentialism. The God of Scripture directs all events in carrying out his perfect plan in time. So the wise person rests himself or herself in that fact and lives accordingly by faith. And that's not always easy to do. This isn't, you know, case, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's not that. It's not disengagement. It's engagement with the God who's absolutely sovereign, whose ways, many of which are secrets that are not made known to us. Are you with me? Okay, there's the introduction. Now, just kidding. <laughs> In verses 2 through 8, we'll go through this swiftly, gives the proof and illustrates for us what Koaleth is talking about. 
God who ordains time. Verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Did you have anything to do with your conception? No, you didn't. Who said yes? No, you didn't. You didn't even exist when your father and mother conceived you. Did you have any... Did you have anything to do with your birth? No. Did you decide what eye color you would have or hair color, anything else? No. You were born on time. God preordained it, and in God's providence, you were born at a particular time. I was born October 11th, 1964, at 8-something in the morning. And I will die whatever time God has set for me on time. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. My sin has been judged in Christ. That I know. That I do know. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Israel, context, was an agricultural society. If you wanted to go on eating, if you wanted to go on living, you would have to plant at planting season and pluck up at plucking season. Don't plant in plucking season. You'll never pluck in planting season. Amen? You do it on time. So the season of the year dictates when you plant and when you pluck. There's a time, spiritually speaking, we sow God's word. I'm sowing God's word and declaring today the decrees of Almighty God, sovereign, omnipotent. He's sovereign over everything, including salvation. And perhaps there's some listening who refuse to believe it. We will still plant and we will still water that seed. And in time, perhaps, I hope God will bring forth a harvest of belief in that fact. Parents, you raise your children in the truth. You sow seeds of truth. You invest time. You teach. It takes energy. I had my grandson for 11 days. You parents, hurrah to you. (laughs) I already raised my kids, but I forgot how exhausting it is, and he was one, one, three-year-old. My wife's a beast. She can do anything. She even looked tired after 11 days. But you invest time, you, inv- you, you, you expend all kinds of energy. You water, you weed, you, 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 you sow continually, you fertilize, so to speak, into the lives of these children. Don't expect a harvest immediately. Amen? Yeah. There's a season. Verse 3, there's a time to kill, there's a time to heal. Context here, uh, capital punishment. Uh, There's a time for the judicial sword to be wielded. There is also a time for salve to the wound. There's a time for skilled medical care. Uh, There's time for healing a nation. There's a lot of application here. Look at Deuteronomy 32, 39. There's no God beside me, God speaking. I kill. I make alive. I wound. I heal. Did you get that? There's a time to break down. There's a time to build up. Jeremiah 18. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Example, Jonah going to Nineveh. Example, America may very well be in a time 
of being broken down. Romans 1 kind of judgment where God lifts his hand of restraint. He turns man over to their evil passions and they exercise the evil of their own hearts. They call good evil and evil good. And if God lifts his hand of restraint, that's called judicial abandonment. Verse 4, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance. Weddings are a time to laugh. Weddings are a time to rejoice. Weddings are a time to, to dance. Dancing is very biblical. There are seasons of grief. Life is complex, amen? There are seasons of deep discouragement. We experience both. You can go to the, a funeral of someone on the morning and go visit your cousin who just had a baby in the afternoon. Two extreme types of emotions. That's why Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because there's all these seasons in life that God has preordained for purposes that are far beyond us. So you don't always have to know what to say. Sometimes you just weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Verse 5, there's a time to cast away stones. There's a time to gather stones together. This is really difficult to interpret. Um, In Israel, uh, stones were important um, building materials. You'd lay foundations with them. You'd use them for, you know, your homes, your walls. So there's a time to gather them in, and there's a time eventually to cast them away. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. Now, in context of marriage, there's obviously the time for physical relational embrace regularly for a husband and wife, but for those not married, it's not that time. Amen? It's not that time. Verse 6, there's a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. In time, there's going to be times of increase. There's going to be times of prosperity, times of loss, times of financial hardship, times of gain of all kinds, times of loss of all kinds. This is the cycle of life in which we live. There are things that are useful. When they're no longer useful, it's a good time to get rid of them. When I taught this in Sunday school, you remember, I, I have in my attic uh, an AM, FM stereo receiver, Kenwood. I bought when I was a kid, and it's still up there. I don't even think it works, but I hold on to it, and I have no reason why. I have no reason to understand why I do, other than for the sake of nostalgia. There's a time to get rid of stuff and not hoard, like on uh, that show, The Pickers. You ever see Pickers? Is that the American Pickers? You ever see they go into some of these houses looking for old junk to resell as treasure? And some people hoard stuff that you can't even walk through their house. There's a time to gather and there's a time to cast away. Paul was in the midst of a storm. What did he do with all the cargo? Cast it away. It was a time to cast it away. And then metaphorically, sometimes relationships have to be cast away. Okay, If you're a Christian and someone's bringing you down, pulling you, tempting you into a way that's not of the Lord, cast them away, man. Get away. There's a time. There's a season. There's a time, verse 7, to tear. There's a time to sow. And that's referring to the ancient practice, practice of expressing sorrow. When you would suffer the loss of a loved one, you would express that sorrow by tearing your garment. When the season of mourning was over, you'd sew it back up. 
time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, time to speak. You know, we can do what is not fitting for the moment, amen? We can speak when we ought to be silent. Sometimes we're silent when we ought to speak. There's a season. Sometimes we'll awkwardly say something when it's a time of mourning, say. And then we think we have to be, we ha- we're forced to say something. No, you're not. You can just mourn. You don't have to say anything because usually it'll be stupid. You'll say, I know how you feel. No, you don't. Right? Perhaps if you've been through the exact same thing, you, you can relate. Don't say to someone who's lost a child, I know how you feel and you never lost a child. As I saw someone try to do with my parents when my brother died. Don't do that. <laughs> Time to be silent. There are, no, there are no words that can do justice to certain griefs in certain times. In moments of time that God has ordained for purposes beyond our understanding. Again, a time to love and a time to hate. I thought we're always supposed to love. Doesn't God always love everybody unconditionally? No. No. That's an unbiblical Christian cliche. God loves everybody unconditionally. No, he doesn't. If you're going to be saved, God's condition of love is in his son, or you will not be saved. His love is conditional. Look at Proverbs 6. Six things God hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes he hates. He hates a lying tongue. Tongues are in the mouths of human beings. Hands that shed innocent blood are on the arms of human beings. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run evil. A false witness who breathe out lies. And one who sows discord among the brothers. God hates. Many people have an unbalanced view of God. They deny certain truths about God. And they speak with Christian ease cliches. You know, like God, I've used this before, God loves the sin but hates the sin. God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And in a sense, okay, we get it. But Scripture says, Psalm 5.5, God hates all evildoers. What do you do with that? Ignore it? Psalm 7.11, God feels indignation, indignation every day for those who are outside of Christ. Every day he feels indignation. Why doesn't he have that for those who are in Christ? Because his indignant wrath was quenched in his son. Therefore, the condition for saving faith is trust and faith in the son. Or God's indignant every day. Psalm 11.5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. What do you do with that? Okay, now we're not God, amen? Okay, God's love and hate are perfect. Ours, tainted. Therefore, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to pray for those who persecute us. But we're also called to be angry and not what? Sin. It's a very hard thing to do. But what we ought not to do is embrace every blasphemous thought and belief in culture without hate when God is blasphemed. In other words, we hate blasphemous words against our Lord. We ought to be indignant with self-control. The psalmist said, Psalm 139, I hate them, Lord, who hate you. I hate them with complete hatred. Yet he goes on to say, although, Lord, search my heart and show me, is there any crooked way in me? Amen. There's a time to love. 
there's a time to hate. Notice next, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Now, this, this is linked, I believe, with a time to, to love and a time to hate. December 7th, 1941, after uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, what was it time for? War. A total of 420,000 Americans died in World War II, and let me tell you this, it was not the goal, probably, of any one of them to die like that. But nevertheless, in a season preordained by God, war broke out, but again, we don't control our lives, so the soldiers who went into battle, some of whom died, was for purposes beyond our understanding, let alone the understanding of the parents who lost those people. So do we throw our hands up in despair? No. Wisdom says, give your life to God while you live. That's the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. That's where it's going. Now, many people fritter away their time. They squander their time on YouTube. They squander their time creating, as I've said before, Facebook personalities that they have to live up to because it's not really them. They're the star in their own eyes. So they have to live up to this, and they squander time, and yet we're told in Scripture that every idle word we utter will be brought into the judgment, and therefore, everything counts for eternity, our time. Time passes quickly, beloved, amen. This life is fleeting. So Paul says, when we get to Paul, he says, redeem the what? Time. In other words, make Make the best use of your time understanding what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5.16. Is that understanding his secret will? No. Understanding the prescribed will. God says this. He's given this to us. We can understand this. We can embrace this. We can walk by faith according to this in the midst of times that are a mystery to us. Redeem the time. So God alone knows the sovereign will and does not disclose that, the secret things, to his creatures. Amen? That's the point. That's the encouragement of this text. Now, Jesus, as we witness in the Gospels, he always knew what time it was. Amen? Okay, listen to this as I close up. Paul refers to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as the fullness of time. God preordained that Jesus would be born in the fullness of time of time, God set that time when Jesus would be born of a woman. And he was born on time. Jesus began his ministry by preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. As the religious leaders of Israel plotted against Jesus time and time again, to put him to death, they could not lay a mitt on him because it was not yet his time. Who preordained the time that Jesus would be crushed? God. You want to talk about evil? What's the most wicked thing that's ever happened in this world? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ according to the will of the Father according to the will of the eternal Son, according to the will of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, predetermined before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified on time. 
Jesus knew when it was time to heal, causing the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, all of which were signs of the Messiah. Signs of the Messiah. Jesus knew when to mourn. He, weep, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He knew when it was time. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit as he returned, or as the, the 70 he sent out returned from their mission. He rejoiced in the Spirit. He knew the time. Jesus embraced repentant tax collectors, prostitutes, lost sinners who knew they needed a Savior. He embraced them, but he refrained from embracing the scribes and the Pharisees or any proud person who thought they were righteous in and of themselves. He did not embrace them. Jesus knew when to speak. He knew when to remain silent. The scripture says that Jesus taught and he, ex- he explained the law of, glo- of God and the crowds, were told in Matthew 7, were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not, at their, not as their scribes. At his trial, he remained silent. Not speaking in his own defense. It's time to speak and a time to be silent. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth at that particular time. Scripture said he wouldn't. He knew very well the Father set the time for his death, saying to his apostles in the upper room, my time has what? Has come. My time has come. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. At the right time, he died for you. His resurrection was a time set by God. After what? Three days. And by the way, any part of a day in the Hebrew mind is considered a day. Part of Friday, all day Saturday, part of Sunday, three days. Time set. And then once he rose from the dead, in Acts 1, before he ascended, we read, verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or what? Seasons that the Father has fixed by his own what? Authority. He's the sovereign timekeeper, beloved. Time is in his hands. Time shapes us. We're subject to time. And more than that, the God who's over time. So in God's time, Jesus will come again. In God's timing, Jesus will come and consummate the already established kingdom. The time of our birth was set. The time of our death is set. The time of your second birth, Christians, God set, and it came forth in what? In time and on time. Whenever you were born again, it was in time and on time. C.T. Studd, I close with this. C.T. Studd, before we come to the Lord's table, which is time to partake of. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's Koalath's message. For everything there is a season, 
and a time for every matter under heaven.